Welcome to the Rise and Search podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on an exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Joe Olson, thank you so much for coming back on our podcast. Really looking forward to talking to you today about servant leadership and Traction EOS. Excellent, David. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. So what's new in the last six months or so since we spoke? Any any highlights uh, from your from your business or that you want to mention before we get started in servant leadership? Oh, great question. There's a few new and interesting things. One, it fits in with the coaching and teaching that I do sort of for work, but I, and it's another type of work, but I've just started be, becoming a uh, ski and snowboard instructor up at Sugar Bowl uh, here in Tahoe. So I think the interesting thing there, we'll talk about servant leadership in a minute, but this transition back to being a novice was pretty interesting. And then also putting yourself, so I was a, I am a novice there because it's, I'm sort of haven't done that type of teaching for a long time. So I'm sort of back to square one. And then also they help you become a novice in teaching you how to teach other people. So Mm. they don't do a really thoughtful and methodical job of bringing you back to square one and how to be patient with, with yourself and with others as you're teaching them. So it's been a great reminder of some real fundamentals of teaching and coaching. That's probably that's one of the highlights of the last few weeks as I've been up there training at Sugar Bowl and sort of learning a new new modality of teaching and coaching. Has that improved your skiing going back to the basics? Yeah. Oh, man, it's crazy. Like the things that I found out from the teaching to become a ski instructor, the just like really basic things. I'm just like, it was like that this whole time, all 30, 40 years I've been skiing and snowboarding. Wow. So just this um, student mind and going back to basics, I, I think always you can learn something. But mm. And I think it's incredible seeing the different types of people who are also ski instructors. It's almost like you know business people. You have different drives and reasons why you do it. And I, I think in this case, seeing, you know, there's like the instructor who's just like the one who you sort of think of in the movies who's just there to ski and they need to pay for it. Right. And they're, they're into it, but they're, they're really into their own skiing. Then there's the people who are sort of, you know, more in the middle where they're really into teaching and they also love skiing and, you know, sort of this balance of both. And then you have people who are really clearly a hundred percent invested in the coaching and teaching and excellence in that and, and, and so there's like, there's probably many more personas, but those are some of the ones that really show up. So being in a group and sort of seeing the different ways that people show up, although we're all there doing the same thing, it's pretty fun to, to be part of. Sounds like you could make a TV series about st- uh, ski instructors staying oh, yeah. around and the, the chats they might have. There was a movie like in the in the late 80s, maybe there was a great movie about ski instructors. It's just very over the top, sort of in the Caddyshack kind of style, if I remember correctly. So there's one pretty good. Yeah, there's one pretty good like uh, ski instructor movie that I remember, but it's been a while. Did you get asked any questions that surprised you? I think that the biggest surprise, like the biggest surprise, it wasn't necessarily a question, but the way they have really great ways of putting, I've been skiing and snowboarding for more than 30 years now. And I would say I would generally sort of feel like an expert. Like I can ski any terrain. I enjoy the backcountry hiking, like, you know, pretty much any modality of skiing or snowboarding. I'm pretty into it. But what they did was put us in these situations, like for snowboarding, what they did was like, okay, like you're great at that. You can sort of do pretty much anything. Now what we're going to do is today, all day, you're going to learn by skiing what's called switch 
So you need to put the foot that you usually have in the back in the front. Okay. And like all day you need to do that. And so I think the thing that I was most impressed with is how they sort of rehardwired us back to sort of being a beginner again. And, and I was trying to think like the, the sort of business question I have is how do we help like a business owner who's owned this business 30, 40 years, hmm. put them like in the modality of like a new hire and onboarding. Because one of the big things that breaks, you know, companies where the where the owner is still the CEO and leader, we'll talk about this more in the EOS and traction, is they they just know everything. And then when someone else comes, they're just they're like, okay, like why don't you go start? Well, they know anything in the system that they have basically uh, helped create or evolved in. And that's often where some of the opportunity lies outside of that system. Exactly. So I think that whole thing of like, they have forcing functions of bringing you back to being a beginner yeah. so that you can then be a great teacher. Right. I was, I was, I'm really interested in the idea of thinking through like how some of my CEO clients can think about a new person onboarding to their company and like put them into that position. So I haven't sort of solved for this yet, but that was one of the more interesting things that I experienced. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't expect you to go there, but I'm happy you did. Um, so Talking about servant leadership, you, you mentioned it. You had told me that this goes back decades. Uh, could you talk to us about the origin as far as you understand it? Yeah. So I think there's lots of stories about servant leadership because of the age of it. There's lots of how to say like inception stories. <laughs> and so the, the one that I'm gonna sh- going to share with you and your listeners is the one that A, sort of Occam's razor seems most likely to be true because it's pretty simple. And then B, I like it better because I'm a nurse and it, and it goes back in the, in the traditions of nursing. So it, it looks like this is a tradition that goes back in nursing leadership and has its roots there. If you think about what nurses need to do, it's clearly service oriented. It's about patients and health and the wellness of others. And even oftentimes to the detriments of healthcare providers, nurses, doctors, and everyone else who works in healthcare, sometimes it's like for others to the point of you know breaking where where people are not healthy anymore the providers themselves are not healthy anymore so i think this idea of servant leadership looks like it came up through the ranks of early nursing in the 70s like you were saying without getting into too much specifics of names and things like that because it seems like there's some some conflict let's just say sort of early days healthcare coming out of out of healthcare leadership but I like to think it's it was nurses because I, I see that still that it's carried through nurses. Um, so what we see with servant leadership is taking this idea of caring and then applying it to leadership. If you think of like the history of leadership, there's been all these different ways of thinking about leadership. Like if you landed, if you're like a BCG, like you were saying earlier, consultant or McKinsey consultant, and it's like the 90s. There's going to be a whole discussion about like top down and how important that is and that the leader's job is to, you know, sort of like remove the people who are not, you know, the most contributors to the bottom line, things like that. There's the famous like Jack Welch, bottom 15 percent fired every year kind of thinking. So there's different leadership styles that gain sort of the popular attention in different sort of like epochs of business leadership and consulting. And I, I've, I was looking for, like, when was servant leadership? And the interesting thing is, it's not clear that there was any time where servant leadership was, like, the popular, you know, like, there was a big book and it made a splash. And 
for this period to that period, servant leadership was the way. It seems like it's been sort of an underdog leadership style that hasn't been like at the top of of people's attention. Um, or, it's like being left-handed. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's there. It's in the deep state, but it hasn't been like the thing that ca- captured like popular attention. And because it's like, different, oh. it had some advantages, no doubt. Yeah. And then I think it's been interesting that throughout my career, which only goes back about 20 years in healthcare, well, almost 30 now. And this is at Stanford Hospital. Stanford. I'm reflecting on Stanford, UCLA, UC Davis, and then even some of the rural places that I worked. The people who were mentors to me in healthcare were servant leaders. And, and in fact, many of them, they would talk about servant leadership, which is another interesting thing about servant leadership is it's it's relatively common to see people living it, but because it's not a like a construct that you see like brought forward so often that that they may not even know that there's a framework there. And so that's I think something really interesting about it is that if I look back and the people who had such an impact on me, they were all servant leaders. But if you think, okay, seven, seven people, only two of them really talked about it. Um, and one of them was a, a chief nursing officer at Stanford, her name's Susan. She was, you know, it was like clearly her brand was about servant leadership and she did a great job serving and how to say helping us as the leaders that were working with her to also be great servant leaders. So high level for people that aren't familiar, really quick, Joe, what are some of like the, the key takeaways? What's the difference between a servant leader and someone who's not like being on the receiving end of that? What did you notice? Yeah, great, great question. So servant leadership Again, there's like many styles and versions of it, but the simplest way of thinking about it is you're thinking about your job isn't necessarily directly to the customer or directly to the patient or directly to serve yourself, but your whole focus is on your team members growing, them being healthy and well, finding balance, achieving their goals, autonomy, things like that, and that they have empowerment. And there's a whole thing we could, uh, I'll save the delegation discussion for another time because that's probably a whole nother podcast. So then rather than thinking holier than thou, people actually respect you because they recognize that you respect them. That's right. So it's, it's really when people see that what you're doing is you're unblocking them, that you're putting yourself in their position, that you listen to them, that when resources come down the line, you don't just think like, oh, there's a conference and it's somewhere great in the middle of Florida in the middle of winter, I'm the manager, I'm going to go. No, what you do is you find a couple of your team members that are you know, high potential and growing and you send them down to the conference so they can you know, be developed. So that, and then when people see that, when they're like, oh, well, Joe could have easily himself, David could have easily himself gone down there. But what he did was he sent you know, Susan from the team then that's like stewardship, I think, is a great way of maybe talking about that, where you take the resources and you steward them towards the team members, towards the you know best outcomes for patients and customers. That's a, another great principle of servant leadership that, that you're not like sort of accreting power and resources for yourself. What you're doing is a yeah. conduit to spread those among your team and help them develop their you know sort of potential, their full potential. Got it. So what has been the evolution that you've seen? Because you mentioned that it's changed from its inception in your eyes, uh, perhaps in healthcare uh, decades ago, to how it's being talked about now. Could you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, some big changes that I've seen is one, people aren't really talking about servant leadership. Like across all my clients, I'll say like, hey, you know, what do you know about servant leadership? And I think if I would have done that five years ago, it might be half of the people had heard of it and they might be aligned with it and even say like, well, I, I do this, I'm into it. What you see now is there's almost like this shyness because I think the word extreme is too strong for this, but it's maybe the best fit that's coming to mind now. I'm curious where you're headed. <laughs> yeah, it's like a very clear methodology that also includes the concept of caring and love and commitment. And what I what I notice is that it feels like a lot of people are choosing less than that, where they're choosing to work remotely. Well, you know, in healthcare, you see a lot of this where frontline leadership, they all have to be there because the patients are there. Right. But when you go to that second level of leadership, there's never been a case probably in history, at least not that I'm aware of, where the management level, the people responsible for the outcomes and the well-beings of the team members that are actually providing the care are remote. That's that's not really happened before, as far as I know. I'm sure there's been like a pocket of that, you know, where you know different hospitals or um, clinics experimented with it, but it's widespread now. Like I, I did some work at a nearby institution that I've I've worked with before, and the person I was working with was in Portland, and this person was a you know a mid middle mid level management, and everyone that directly reported them was frontline working with patients, and this you know, well-known academic healthcare institution hired that person and they've been to Stanford, you know, a few times and for the annual events and things like that, but they, they work out of Portland all the time. So I think that there's this sort of development of what is sort of the minimum viable contribution of my work that results in the paycheck and results in my bosses being satisfied with what I'm doing versus I think what I saw when I was entering into my nursing career, which is this really 100% dedication to the patients, to the team, to the institutions that we all worked at. And, And I'm not saying this just happened because people are selfish. I think there's a part of this that's happened because some of the contracts that we have with the employers have also been broken. You know, it's like a two way street where, you know, benefits have been reduced, things have been taken away. People feel like the deal that they initially made, trust has been broken in some way. And so this distance has developed. And so it, it's a two-way street. I'm not just blaming this on the leaders themselves. I think it's it's really both on both sides. It must be difficult to have any kind of culture unless you're extremely like high contact or high touch. Uh, if you're in disparate regions, uh, that, must be, that must be challenging, especially over time. It is. And if you talk to the frontline leaders, I think there's a this is worth talking a little bit about, which is the experience of frontline staff in any, in you know, healthcare is my, my experience and expertise, but anyone who's frontline, you know, it could be roof builders where the guys go out and build, you know, guys and gals go out and build roofs. And then the people in the office. And, and I think that's one you're of the- talking to a former tour guide here. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah. So you get this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's this, a lot of the, discourse on work from home is happening in management. And of course it's happening with the frontline workers, but they're talking to each other. They're not like publishing on LinkedIn about it or whatever. Right. So what you can read and access almost by definition, most of that's written for management by management. 
And so when I read a lot of that and then I go talk to nurses and doctors on the front line, mm. man, there's like just a huge disconnect in like. Well, there would be because also a function, I mean, you might know this as well, probably better than I, but the mind starts, it's like a language, right? Like we're kind of filtering out what we, the words we don't understand. There's a great right. skit um, with uh, Kevin Hart. Uh, actually, it's from a movie, I think, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, where he's saying, I don't understand the words that came out of your mouth, so I'm going to assume that they, they were disrespectful. <laughs> and, uh, <Right>. it's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and so you talk about like the, the um, silo effect of like management or, or different kind of uh, uh, divisions of, of a company, and they're going right. to start to speak different languages, start to interpret data in, in different ways, and it, it would lead, I imagine, to all sorts of uh, disagreement and conflict, perhaps. Yeah. So we're seeing that in healthcare in particular, where my clients are, there's a lot of the owner needs to come in every once in a while and do this or that. And they think it's a certain way for their team members. And I think if you go back to some of those core tenets of servant leadership, empathy being one of them, that's one of the things that's, I think, really suffering now. And so we see this transition from where everybody was working together yeah, and there was this 100% commitment to now this physical separation. Yeah. And I think the, the interest in 100% commitment, even with the frontline team members, is, is reduced. You know, I think that it used to be you take your 40 hours worth of work and you take another X hours worth of call and yeah. then Y hours filling in when the shift goes over, but they don't have someone on call. And I, I don't think that people are willing to accept that at this point. So the aspiration for agility and the supposed modularity has actually wound up creating factions that create more conflict and ultimately it sounds like slow things down. That's what I see. Yeah. And I and I think we're seeing some of this in the outcomes too, where patients are like pro in particular in academic healthcare, programs that could, would, should be helping patients are taking longer now to roll out than they have in the past. So you're a consultant, uh, you, you you help other CEOs get unblocked as well and, and be better leaders for their teams. You've seen this in, in the decades in, in, in your career. Um, I'd like to also get to Traction EOS and the entrepreneurial approach, but as a bridge to get there, what are some of the red flags, if you if you want to put it that way, or some of the symptoms that people could see? You know what? Our initiative, like in, in going this way, maybe we're, our culture is actually um, kind of disintegrating, or maybe uh, maybe we need to rethink uh, how we're going about our, our culture and our team? Okay, great question or, or sort of conversation starter. So I want to use, there, there's one person I want to highlight to bring people's attention to, to learn more about servant leadership. Uh, the gentleman's name is uh, Larry Spears, was his, is his name. Okay. He published uh, the seminal article on effective and caring leaders, which I think is, 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 for as far as I can tell, one of the inception points of servant leadership. So I would just tell people to go check out Larry Spears okay. and, and find his work because that's, that's, as far as I can tell, sort of the seed of this. But let me use some of his thoughts to answer the question that you sure. just said. So he, I don't remember all these off the top of my mind, but he had 10 characteristics of servant leaders. And it was, it was um, I've mentioned most of them. But the one I didn't mention, but you brought it up, I want to highlight, which is building community. And I think that's one of the big highlights that we see now where you can tell that things aren't really working is that the community component of teams that are working together in many cases has sort of like fallen apart. And if you take some of the other things that servant leaders are meant to do, right? Empathy, 
providing healing, being aware of the team around them, helping change happen in a way that's, you know, not as choppy and painful as it could be if they weren't, you know, communicating through it and leading the team, being able to sort of see into the future. Okay, this one's going to be particularly hard. Here's a great strategy for it. When you think about sort of the loss of some of those qualities of leadership, one of the big ways that it shows up is in the community. And, and I, what I hear so many times now is I ask like, okay, what's your investment as a leader in your team, right? And a lot of times, and the nurses are going to be really mad when they hear this because it's too true. It'll be like, oh, well, we, whenever we do something great together, we have a pizza party, right? And it's- Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's like great and all, but oftentimes it'll be like, oh, hey, um, you were promised bonuses this year, but we're not going to be able to make it because we didn't get where we wanted to be as a company. But here's a slice of pizza. But we're going to have a pizza party. I see. Okay. I take back what I said. <laughs> so I'm all for pizza parties also. I quite enjoy some good pizza. Yeah. But I, I think when it's in the place of all these other leadership qualities and sort of on the tails of really bad news, and, and then the worst, I just literally had a client I was talking to about this. They, they sent people to a pizza party and didn't go themselves. Like, I don't like pizza, right? And so they're like, you know, five o'clock, you guys go and then call me, I'll pay the bill kind of a thing. So I would I would choose out of all the qualities of servant leadership, the one to see if it's working or not is what the community of your team and the connection with your team and your clients, customers, patients looks like. That if you don't have community and you're not investing in the the values that that you believe as a leader are important and that what's brought your company to where it is now and passing those on to team members seeing them seeing you living them and you seeing them living them yeah i'm not asking you to do anything i wouldn't do exactly i think the place you see it falling apart is a lot of these workplaces i'm having my customers the ceos come to me and saying my team is just falling apart and they're not cohesive and I'm like, okay, like, tell me more. And they're like, well, every Tuesday, that's the day of work that I go into the office. <laughs> Tuesdays, you know, I meet everybody. They don't want to talk to me. And I'm like, okay, like they see you once a week for an hour. Like, it's not going to work. You know, you can't get there from like with that sort of method. Okay. I've got, I want to, I want to ask, I want to complicate this a little bit because you also mentioned delegation in a previous podcast that I thought was really great. And that's all, that's another, it's like a series of S curves, right? When you build something and you've got to get to the delegation point at different uh, areas, perhaps. So it's kind of like the dream, right? Everyone imagines being on a yacht in the Riviera or something like that. I've delegated everything and just give me a phone call, like at a, a time of my choosing and just like make sure everything's okay. Cause I put the right people in the right place. But is that possible, do you think? Or is that a pipe dream? Like having community and also detachment. I know that's like really open-ended. I was just wondering where you're going to take that. Yeah, it's a huge question. I have a few answers. One, one answer, I'll do, I have a spiky point of view around this, it's called, which is most people who I know who are operators, the boat thing is actually not for them. It's, a, it's sort of a mental gymnastics about like, I will have arrived when this has happened, but they don't want, no, like, most of my clients actually don't want to arrive there. They want to sort of think about it that way and have this idea. But if you put one of these people on the beach, including myself and maybe you a little bit too, like I last sort of 20 minutes. I can't sort of drink margaritas fast enough to enjoy it. I just want to do more interesting, cool stuff with good people. Yeah. And I think that's true for many, many, many entrepreneurs where there's sort of this, you know, the books, magazines, movies show us all sort of on the beach. And then we've achieved these great things. But 
that's not what I see. That's just not how things are for my clients, for me, for most of my friends. It's like, we want to be doing something. So I would just, that's sort of a spiky point of view that I have is that sure, some, some time on the beach, really great. But I think most of us actually do want to be building and be part of the building, but on our schedule. I like how you said at the time of my choosing, I think yeah. that is true. And so that's what I would sort of draw people's attention toward is calendar control. So if you control your calendar and you, you're contributing to your team and you're not getting interrupted too much in times when you're focused on, you know, your kid's baseball game, classically, that type of thing, your date night with your wife, whatever your sort of choices of things where you want to be focused, maybe it's a hobby that you have. If you can protect that, that's what I actually think is a lot of entrepreneurs sort of version of being on the beach is calendar control. If you actually control when you're doing what and people know how to get a hold of you in the ways that you want them to and when you want them to, and you're still quite involved, that's what I see being the actual dream of most of my clients. Okay. Yeah. Really great answer to a really challenging question. So thank you for that. Um, pivoting a little bit now to Traction US. You've mentioned this uh, in the past. Um, it's come up. I think it's one of the, the required readings or one of the suggested readings in the MBA uh, the book by Gina Wickman, um, who I guess invented the, uh, the the branding at least of, of Traction US, and US is Entrepreneurial Operating System. And as I understand, there's six parts. Uh, how would you like to enter into this conversation, given that we're coming from servant leadership? Yeah, well, let's let's sort of go back to some of those qualities of servant leaders, just to tie these things together. So, if you think about what we were just talking about about building community. A lot of what that, a lot of the work and the systems that you need to do that are around listening, communicating, like, you know, speaking out your concept of the future and how we're going to get there and making sure that there's systems in place for those things to, how to say, almost like tracks for those things to happen in, right? So if you, if you try to be a servant leader, but you don't have an operating system to do that, where you're just like, okay, I'm ready. I want to help my team. I want to lead. I want to communicate. What Traction in EOS does is it gives you a framework to be a great servant leader in. So if you have these qualities of, you know, being a great change manager, being connected with your team, building community, all the things we've just been talking about, you can be this like effusive, amazing leader that everyone loves, but kind of miss the idea of like getting your company on a track of productivity and serving your customers and cash flow, it can happen. Um, and, and I think it does happen where people get to their upper limit, you know, for various reasons of themselves as a leader and their companies. And they, they got to figure out how to break through that upper limit. Somehow. Yeah. No one's born with a full stack. You got to figure out where to, where to improve. Oftentimes what comes into focus, you know, you sort of do the right Googling and, Traction EOS and Gina Wickman's team have made sure that they, you know, get served up to you and rightfully so because it's quite effective. So that bridge being built between servant leadership and having a system, I want to just, I want to go back a little bit to spend just a few seconds on maybe sort of the history a little bit and maybe sure. like one big critique of EOS, which I'm sure a lot of people have great solutions to, but I just I want to make a mention of some things that I've seen so that I'm not like 100% fanboy. I want to be complete in the... Fair and balanced. Yeah. So when what Traction is, is the 
is a distillation of many other business systems. Anyone who looks at it sees, you know, the seven habits of highly successful people. You see the Rockefeller habits. It's all there, right? All these great books that have helped a lot of us as leaders have been distilled into what you see in EOS. And Gino Wickman himself is very clear about that. He gives, you know, in interviews and things like that, he said, like, this section came as a, you know, something I developed from this and this from that and that from the other thing. So I think those are some of the major um, touch points that he mentions. Like the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, to go back to a Bruce Lee. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. Where you where you learn and you're the student, and especially as entrepreneurs, and and Bruce Lee being one of the great examples of entrepreneurs that, that were, you know, sort of visible in our lifetime. True. Um, you what you do is you take what you know and you evolve it to something and and Gino's genius I don't know him personally I'm just saying Gino is sort of a shorthand uh, I, I do have a couple friends a couple of uh tiger chairs are in the book traction so I won't get too far into that but I, I do know people who know Gino but I don't know yeah. Gino. um sort of a midwest phenomenon there one degree of se- separation yeah exactly and so it's uh I'm I actually want to learn more from them about some of the early days because some of them were actually there, there in the times that we're sort of talking about here. We'll probably have them as a guest speaker at some point. Yeah, we probably can. Yeah, and they may have actually uh, out in Chicago. Um, so they're scaling up is Vern Harnish's uh, sort of system for business. And that's, and then they had also the Rockefeller habits and then the new, I think they call it the new Rockefeller habits. So okay. Gino Wickman was a coach in that for as far as I can tell, like around five years. And so this is just such a classic example of simplifying and making something more useful to people by accessibility that that we can all learn from. So I'll, I'll just start with that positive comment and this other positive comment about there's these other inception points that, you know, um, that this came from as well. Yeah. And I can even send you over a little like links of some of these things if it's helpful. That'd be great. Yeah. But I, I don't want to get into like too much detail and lose everyone. Don't so too granular. Sure. Just high level. Exactly. But we can put it in the notes. Um, the point I want to make is there is some controversy because it's so close to some of the other things. Right. But I also, other people didn't scale up what, you know, what they built, the way that Gino Wickman scaled up Traction EOS. So the winner's relatively clear at this point. Well, sometimes you'll even go back and watch a movie or read a book after five years and get a totally different takeaway. So if someone has like an interpretation of existing phenomena or data and it works for them, I, I wouldn't necessarily think it's it's uh, it is, it's a critique in and of itself. Right. I think that's right. But there, the thing I'm about to say is a clear critique. So I'm sort of like uh, okay. beating around the bush a little bit, but I'll be clear. I, I prepped you. <laughs> yeah, great job. The thing that seems really clearly missing. I think a lot of people come to Traction EOS either early in their business career, you know, like search funders, things like that, where they're like, I need a system. And I came out of the military and they had a system, but where's the one for for business, right? And they they hook right into Traction EOS. and Paralyzed by freedom. Yeah. And like very much to their benefit, boom, there's a system. And now you can grow because you, you have some clarity. I feel a butt coming. Yeah. What's missing is a focus on cash flow. So something that Scaling Up does really well is they say, this is the lifeblood of your business, protect this cash flow and service the cash flow. Like that's your job. And if you're the CEO and you're doing something that's not serving the cash flow, 
maybe get back to work, right? Yeah. And what traction EOS, I think, has led many people to do is they have this construct of visionary and integrator. So the visionary is like, I thought up the business. I have all the great ideas for the business. I'm sort of out in front of the business. Like ideation kind of. Right. And, and people can get really trapped in being a visionary. Yep. Like I'm the idea guy. I've even, those words have come out of my mouth. They won't, they won't uh, yeah. ever come out seriously. I've seen it in my peer group. Like I, I have all these great ideas and then you're talking to someone that's an integrator and you're like, oh, I've got to, you know, it takes all kinds. Yeah. So you need those both, right? Like integrators have a really difficult time, you know, ideating and living out in the future. And then visionaries obviously can, can have a whole failed business model because they can't sort of get their feet to touch the ground. So when you put those two things together, it's very magic happens. Right. And then, then you have a company really, when you have those two modalities together, very few people, but some, I won't name names, but there's some people that we idolize in American culture as entrepreneurs that it's looks like they really can do both where they live way out into the future and then they go down into the factory floor and be like, like that screw is loose. Right. (laughs) So we do, there are examples of people that at least their personal brand has both built into it. Um, But it's, it's very infrequent and that's a lot of work, especially for smaller main street type companies for one person to try to do both sort of a failure mode. So I, I think those are a couple of critiques, which are, Cash flow, if you don't have it, you don't have a business. And then if someone sort of like latches on to this idea of being a visionary leader, they can really lose themselves in that modality and and lose servant leadership altogether, where their communication doesn't connect back with the team because they're out in the front. There's a, I think we maybe mentioned it last time, but um, there's a saying that says, the general too far in front of their troops looks like the enemy. And I think when a lot of people get really into that visionary mode and think I don't need to contribute in other ways because I gave these great ideas for everyone to act on, they really can't, they themselves can get lost in a way that's super unhealthy for them, sort of, you know, mental illness level, kind of like visionaries, right? Yeah. Just, out there just trying to think too much and and they can really lose the respect of the team and lose any of that connection that then makes you a, a viable servant leader so balance is important i'm hearing once again um don't go too far be ahead or behind of your of your troops or your people now in uh traction us there's like six kind of sections that they talk about vision people data issues process and traction you talked a little bit about a lot of these at a high level, um, which one of those do you think people should start with or does it matter? So there's a tool, I'm gonna answer a little bit sideways. Okay. The, the tool, there's a whole toolbox in Traction EOS. There is one tool that I use in every single company that I start, that I work with, advise, no matter if I'm around, you're gonna be using this tool and it's called the Vision and Traction Organizer. And what it does is from left to right, it sets the vision of the company. It sets the values of the company. That's all very well documented. Then it goes, it used to go 10-year goals, but I think most people just don't do that anymore because things are moving too fast. One-month goals. (laughs) Yeah, try to pretend. I think most people are doing three-year goals now. You do three-year, and then you do 12-month, and then you do quarterly. And some people, and I advise this too, is like, what do we need to do now? 
right? So, so sometimes you can be like, oh, it's the beginning of the quarter. I need to hire these three people. Okay. But like, what's the next step? Job descriptions, you know, like talk with the team about new people coming and what the gaps are. I don't, you know, and who's, whatever it is. But I would say what is great about the, the VTO, Vision Traction Organizer, is it takes all six parts and it brings them together in, in like a one pager. Okay. And I, even when I have like an idea for a business, I'll often do a vision and traction organizer. There's like the lean business canvas. That's also pretty good. There's story brand where you think about who's the hero and who you're serving as the guide. So I'll often do a medley of these different ways of sort of thinking through what this business is going to be. But the, the one that I do every single time is the vision and traction organizer. And I, and I think it helps people. They get to see where we're headed. They get to see clearly who our customers are. They get to see how we're serving our customers, you know, vision, values, that type of thing. Oftentimes what I'm seeing people do on the vision and values is principles, like lived principles. So instead of saying honesty, we'll say um, like we're an open company and we share our financials across the company, right? So so we'll be like, I'll be very specific in the vision and values and oftentimes go more to like lived principles and try to write down like real behaviors that we live. This is maybe a little bit different than some traction EOS um, coaches would do, but that's what I've learned over time. So that tool really does align the six parts very nicely. It Oftentimes I'll try to bring data in by when I set the three-year and one-year goals, and this is a little bit of trying to sort of fix maybe this this um, scaling up critique about the the dollars and cents component and the cash flow, is I might put a financial goal. Sometimes that's difficult for people, but there's a the Silicon Valley way of doing things is like your people know, like it's in the news, like what your what your revenue is and what your costs are and what your valuation was, and so I think maybe that's a little sort of Silicon Valley influence is to put, put a, you know, we, we're going to serve 55 customers at X dollars, you know, monthly per customer for an annual run rate of this. And we want X to be recurrent and then Y project based. If you can do something like that, have some idea, obviously, of what your input costs are, your cogs and everything. Yeah. And you can sort of bring some of the scaling up cash flow, um, focus into attraction EOS vision traction organizer. And I imagine you walk the walk, like you do this in your organization as well. I do everyone. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, we're a little, and my wife and I, in any of our businesses that we own in particular in times like now where all the costs are going up and willingness to pay is going down, like e-commerce businesses, restaurants, like we're, we're sort of playing on hard mode right now. Everything you know, we really have all the inputs, costs, and all, you know, sort of what the revenues look like. And I, I think during this time, when you sort of see where we're at in the cycle, yeah, you have to know every penny. And I, and I, so that's, that's particularly in focus right now, but we do do that for all of our companies. And we have the help. I think I've mentioned them to you before, but like we have a whole team and then that team has turned into a company of finance people that help us from around the world that some of them are just embedded in one company. So our, our model is to use like low cost offshore, but controller level education experience people across all of our companies. So we don't, even the smallest companies that we're just starting have 
very tight financial controls and real clarity on what the startup costs are going to be and when we expect to break even and what we want the returns to look like. Well, it, like you say, you're playing on hard mode, but every uh, every level you clear is worth more now. So when the, when you get back into the halcyon days again, you know you'll be uh, in a good position to tell people about your the lessons learned. Surviving. <laughs> so that's what we're going to tell people. About. Have you thought about writing uh, like an updated version of of an operating system manual for entrepreneurs? The thing that I'm working on right now is a little bit less operating system and a little bit more. Um, about servant leadership. I, I have a pretty strong belief that servant leadership is a right. It served me well and many other leaders in healthcare for, for many years. I've seen great results from it, but it's, it's like really poorly branded. And so I, I want to help with that. I want to bring servant leadership sort of into the, into the now. I like the way you put it uh, as, in terms of unblocking people. I think that was an interesting reframe. So I'm hopeful to, to contribute in that way. And then another way I'd like to contribute is, yeah, probably thinking about what's different with my clients, what's different about working in healthcare that can sort of take some of the learnings from Traction and all these other great books and, and making them more specific to what I see with my healthcare leader. So I am doing some work on that. Focus now, I have three main modalities that I'm focused on. Servant, servant leadership is like, lives over these three things. So there's like this, leadership style that you need to have and ways that you need to show up as a leader. And then delegation and developing team members is a big vertical. And then the idea that like, what is your best life? I, I think that's really interesting because I think most people, like we were talking about earlier, maybe they just think it's like a boat, but then they get the boat and they're super frustrated because they don't want to sit on a boat. Right? right. So I've been really thinking about, Yes, being a great delegator and empowering your team, but then what does your dream life look like? And I think the, the, the unlock there is this idea of your zone of genius. Like what superpowers mm -hmm. do you have? What are your God-given, however your, however your belief system goes, but what are your unique capabilities? Yeah. And, and if you think of, I have these unique capabilities, I want to sort of lock everything else out and lock this in. You have to get, you have to master delegation to solve that. When you master delegation and you empower your team and you only work in your zone of genius, that's freedom. That's what I think people really care about. Like a lot of, like by definition, if you're working in your zone of genius, you're enjoying it. You're having a great time doing it. You don't, you're not thinking about being on a boat. That happens when you're right. doing crappy work that you don't connect with. Yeah. You don't need a break from work when you're loving what you're doing. Right. So you put those three things together. That's, the, that's I think, going to become a system that I'd like, that I will continue to develop with my clients. So delegation, zone of genius, and then living your earned life. And I think when you get those three things right, under the umbrella of being, you know, servant leadership, serving your team, serving your clients. That's, that's the system I want to continue to work on until I can help more and more people with it. That's great. So can you give us uh, some, you know, highlights, like what's something uh, good going on in your life right now, aside from uh, coming back from a successful ski run? I am, I'm starting to see that what you and I just talked about coming into focus. I think that I've actually been working on this for many, many, many years, but I've had the sort of the luxury of, of having a, a manageable amount of clients, you know, that have given me some time to do work, work in my zone of genius, which I think is partially solving this kind of problem about what do we have 
how can it be simpler? How can I help more people with it? So I have had that time in the last year or so to, to develop these things. And so that's pretty exciting to see this. I don't have it all like written down, but sure. I, I feel like it's sort of locking together in a way that that's starting to feel like it's, it's real. Do you like, find it easier when you're solving other people's problems or uh, as opposed to solving them within your own organizations? Mm. So, so there's a thing about in uh, ski and snowboard instructing to not, you don't teach your loved ones. You get someone who's sort of disconnected to teach them because they could take feedback in a different way. The instructor is going to run through what they know how to do just objectively without getting, you know, sort of emotional like you do with your family. Yeah, You always do this. <laughs> right. Like this, you're, you're this kind of person, right? right. You're stubborn. Right. No wonder you can't do this. Right. So I think in, in my wife and I's case, we have started to do more of that where we bring in like in the restaurant group, that's my wife's passion. She's brought in a restaurant operator with her. And historically I would have, maybe done that with her and learned how to do it. And we would have figured it out together. So, and I think you and I are having some great conversations about like your zone of genius and my zone of genius. And we're, you know, we have the pieces and we're trying to fit those together. So I would say that answer to your question, maybe a little bit different than how you asked it, but I think what it's become is like, like a who, not how that's, that's a, one of the coaching principles that comes out of, um, uh, another coaching program, but it, it's this idea of called who, not how. Okay. And it, it really is about thinking through, okay, if I want to get this done, who do I know who's in my network or who's in the network of my network? That's like the world's best at this. Let, let's get with them and I'll do my great stuff and they'll do their great stuff. And then we'll really hit it out of the park. That that's, I think it's not so much like my wife and I are, are doing great in our partnership, but the new development over the last couple of years is bringing in, like subject matter expertise. Yeah. And and those types of partnerships have really taken off and been something really special and it's it's that's probably the phase that we're in. Great. Happy to hear that. So, for people that have listened and are on board or at least curious about uh implementing or learning more about servant leadership or traction US or anything like that, where would you point them? A course, a website, a book, any any of your material? EOS itself has a, has great, um, they have great, they have so much good content. So, you know, you can just go to the EOS site. A lot of it's written by Gino Wickman himself, but then over the years by, by his team, Gino Wickman himself, his, his LinkedIn is pretty active and he's no longer doing traction EOS itself, but he is looking at like, Uh he's getting too far ahead of the troops. Yeah. What are your unique characteristics and things like that? So he's still in leadership development, but he's, he's, I think being more exclusive and, you know, it's like he built something that everyone can access. And I think now he's, now he, you know, probably takes on very few clients every year, but I think his content's still amazing. If you want to sort of see the progression of the thinking from just a system and then, I believe in these, I've had traction EOS coaches, everything I'm teaching, saying here, I learned from someone who's a, who's a traction EOS coach, which I'm not, I'm a self implementer of traction EOS, which is actually different than, than these other coaches. So I would just highly suggest that if you're super into traction EOS itself, you need an operating system. I would go look at scaling up and look at EOS and see which one you think, you know, serves you the best. We've obviously been talking about traction EOS. Um, and then I would find a local coach or 
someone who's referred to you that will travel to you and your team. Cause I, I really do believe, and I think most of those EOS coaches believe you do it in person Yeah, um, with few exceptions. Um, so I'd find a local coach or someone I, I have two or three that are, that I know are world-class um, and the, and the cost range of these coaches also ranges. I mean, it, it's funny. You can talk to one of these people and they can say, well, here's my cost to sort of help you implement. You talk to another one, their cost can be much more or much less. So the prices are not set. I would just uh, you know tell people to be thoughtful about that. And then yeah, I'm happy to refer. I know I know a couple of West Coast ones. I know a couple of like Midwest ones, a couple of New York ones, um, and, and a couple in the East as well. Yeah. So if anyone want to reach out, and then like I'm also happy to help people, particularly on the delegation zone of genius sort of crosswalk and figuring that out and, and helping with that servant leadership as well. And we can put your link in the show notes, but for people that uh, might not be checking those show notes, maybe they're driving in the car. Uh, where would you like to point them? Uh, Remarkable Freedom. You can find me on LinkedIn, Joe Olson. Um, it's actually Johannan Olson, which is a longer Swedish name, but that's easier to find on LinkedIn. There's a few Joes there. And that's uh, J-O-E on LinkedIn? Yeah, you can find it that way. I have all the different ways my name can be spelled on LinkedIn. I like the J-O-H personally. Yeah, J-O-H is the way you'll find me. If you do J-O-H-O-L-S-O-N, you'll find me. Um, but the way to find my coaching work for Remarkable Freedom is just RemarkableFreedom.com. Great. Well, Joe, it's always a pleasure. Uh, maybe we can do a, a part three someday, but uh, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, David. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. I hope that our conversation has sparked some new ideas and given you valuable insights that you can carry forward in your own journey. Until next time, eyes on the horizon.